Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Money can't buy happiness, but it sure can buy crawfish. And that's basically the same thing. <laughs> life has its difficult parts regardless of how much you make. However, the more money you have, the easier a lot of problems become. In this episode, we're going to discuss some strategies for higher pay, both over the short term and your entire career. While the perfect strategy is different for every person, we think that a mix of these ideas here will go a long way towards helping you improve your pay, and find the strategy that works best for you. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, I ended up going to Murfreesboro over the weekend, <laughs> which we'll get into that uh, here in a minute. Beyond that, I have about 150 pages of material that I have to go back through for the book because it was initially set up as a series of blog posts. And so I've got to find every instance where it refers to a blog post or article or whatever and change that to chapter and fix a few other things. So yeah, it doesn't look like I'm doing much for a while other than that. How about you? Well, my birthday was yesterday, Monday, because we're recording on Tuesdays now. Amanda effectively executed a surprise Doctor Who themed birthday party for me. That's really amazing because it is very hard to surprise me, especially surprise party me because I'm such a party planner. I want to include everyone. So if it's like, hey, just a couple of us are going out, I'm like, oh, well, hey, let's invite this person and this person and this person and this person because I want them all to be there. And I also know if I invite them all, like three of them will actually show up. Yeah, because you're out in the, <laughs> you know, the back end of forever. Yeah. But that was really awesome. She had like 30 people in her apartment. And her apartment is bigger than my apartment was. It's still not that big. Yeah. So it was It was a little cramped. Yeah, my daughter was like watching out the window to see if you were coming. Because she was the only kid there. And it's like, okay, well, you need a job. Yeah. So do that. It was interesting because our friend Wendy was in town this weekend. She was not at the party. Amanda doesn't know her. And even though I invited her to come down, she was here with some other people in Nashville. But she had told me they're in town. And she's like, what are you doing this weekend? I was like, well, I know we're doing something. I don't know what it is because Amanda won't tell me. So I said something to Amanda and she, she was like, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> and so our friend John was helping her plan it. He's like, just tell him that we're going out to eat with some friends and that he can invite her to come. Because John knows Wendy. Yeah. She told me we were going to the restaurant right near where she lives. And she told me that she had been working on this craft idea for me for like the last couple of weeks. So I wasn't allowed to go over to her apartment. So what she had been doing, like she set up a TARDIS photo booth and like had decorated stuff. And like she'd been setting all that up for like working on it and getting it all together. Also, I would have noticed her crazy amount of cleaning because... You know, her place was a little bit messier than before. <laughs> but yeah, that was fun. I thought we were meeting at uh, The Goat is the name of the restaurant. I thought we were meeting at The Goat. I figured Will was going to be there and I knew John was going to be there because he had already talked to me about it. So he was like, I'll give you a ride. 
And so I'm like, all right, that's cool. He brought over a server for me. So I've got a server now. Yeah. Did he bring the monitors I gave you? (laughs) (laughs) So Will gave me his quad monitor setup because he got the new new HD, or not HD, 4K TV that he's using. Put it in the back of John's car. We were supposed to pick it up from John on Sunday, but he was over at his brother's house uh, for the Super Bowl. I was going to pick it up from him after group Monday. He called me. I was like, yeah, I'll, I got a group around 7.15, 7.30. I'll swing by your place on my way home because his place is on my way home from group. And he's like, all right, cool. I was like, yeah, we cleaned out Amanda's car. and We're going to put it in the back of that uh, Sunday. And he's like, oh, well, I'm pulling into the coffee shop where Amanda works right now. He's like, she thinks she'll let me just put it in her car? And I'm like, probably. So it's in the back of her car right now. So Okay, so you're getting it today. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I mean, it served me well. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's time for it to move yeah. on. Yeah, anyway, John drove me over there. And we get there and Amanda's like, oh, hey, come on up. I've got your present ready. Because she was telling me she might not have it done. I'm like, okay, cool. So we get there and walk in. And 30 people are all standing like as far away from the door as they can in a semicircle. They yell surprise. My friend Demi starts blinking at me. That was amusing. (laughs) Oh, he knows Morse code. It'll be fine. It's like, that seems a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta tell you. (laughs) It's Demi. He's, He's awesome. But like just the fact that he was there because they do so much stuff. He and his wife do so much stuff with the church. They rarely get out to social things. And so that was awesome that they they came. I really, really appreciated that. It was a little awkward though, because like I just walk in, everybody yells, surprise, happy birthday. And then they all just stared at me. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> you're not, not sure what to do on the receiving end. Yeah. Like I was overwhelmed. And it's very rare that I'm overwhelmed. I loved it. Yeah. You were at a loss for words, which doesn't ever happen. Never happens. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, uh, uh, uh. And Amanda was told me later, she's like, yeah, I thought you already knew about it. I'm like, no, I would have pretended, I would have like known what to do had I already known about it. And I would have pretended to be surprised and like played it up. But like, you completely caught me off guard. <laughs> so we ended up going down to that restaurant though. And Amanda bought me a glass of Pappy Van Winkle, which is my favorite bourbon. So that was cool. I'll tell you what, one of the coolest things though, was that message frame. She took a shadow box frame, put some chicken wire across it, and then had people write notes on these blue cards, because, you know, Doctor Who, TARDIS, blue. And then you roll them up and put them in the chicken wire. Uh, of course, my love language is words of affirmation. So talk about one of the best gifts ever. That was just great. Honestly, the whole weekend was really busy. We went over to my mom's for dinner Sunday for my birthday, and we watched the Super Bowl. Have a bit of an unpopular opinion. Uh, for those of you that did watch it, I didn't care much for the halftime show. I think that's not an unpopular opinion. I've heard quite a bit about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for the reason a lot of people didn't like it. It's just not my style of music. The halftime shows rarely are. I like punk, metal, hard rock, folky rock sometimes. And they tend to be a lot of pop yeah. type stuff. And it's just not not really my style. And I made the joke of like, C-SPAN would be more interesting than this. <laughs> So we changed the channel to C-SPAN and ended up watching an interview with the first woman to walk in space. And it was a lot more interesting. It was really fascinating. She was talking about like getting her degree and just like 
all this stuff. And it was really cool. Well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, she was talking about like some of the health requirements and stuff like that, too. Speaking of that, trying to transition. That was just a bad transition. I'm sorry, y'all. But let's go ahead and get on into book club. So chapter eight of The Healthy Programmer, Get Fit, Feel Better, and Keep Coding by Joe Kuttner is titled Making Exercise Pragmatic. Kuttner starts off talking about how high-intensity exercise can actually reduce cognitive functioning. He uses this to point out that you need to coordinate exercise with your schedule to be most effective when coding and exercising. The first section talks about cognitive flexibility and how lower intensity exercising actually increases your cognitive ability. If you are familiar with the Pomodoro technique, the idea of working in short, usually like 25-minute increments, you'll really like the next section. In it, Kuttner discusses ways to apply this to improving your brain power and physical health. He talks about the benefits of taking, say, a two- to three-hour period coding for 25 minutes or working on something code-related for 25 minutes, and then taking a five-minute exercise break. During the break, you only do one exercise for about five minutes. This could be walking or or anything. Um, He lists some out, and then earlier in the book, we talked about exercises that he listed out and showed how to do. Now, in the next section, he talks about keeping a log of all your exercises. And if you guys know me, I really am a huge fan of logging. He points out the need to be specific in what you record and to be consistent with your logging. Next, he discusses playing games to improve your health. This isn't a Call of Duty marathon, though he does mention a programmer who only games from a pedaling desk. The great thing about games like golf, bowling, tennis, or even boxing is that they engage both your body and your brain. And then in the last section before the retro, he talks about using social media and mobile apps to motivate yourself. Personally, I like to use the Spark People app. I have the app on my phone and also use their website as it has various levels of involvement. So like I can either just track my intake and my exercise, or I can follow an exercise plan, a diet plan. They even have like meal prep and what to buy at the store this week. You can get really, really into it. Or you can just say, all right, I'm allowed. It's kind of like macronutrients. So like this many calories, this much protein to stay in this range. And the cool thing is the more you exercise, it actually adjusts that range each day. I also like how it gamifies nutrition and exercise. Like you can get rewards and stuff through the app. That's really neat. And I'll have a link to the book and the app in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we got a tweet from Patricio Faragi saying, my list of favorite programming podcasts in no particular order, Coding Blocks, Complete Dev Pod, Soft Skills ENG, Syntax FM, JS Jabber, that's JavaScript Jabber, by the way, Coder Radio Show, Co-Recursive, Bike Shed, JS Party FM, Developer T, Cynical Devs, and Angular Podcast. Thank you for listing us among some of the best developer podcasts out there. We're very honored to be in your list. And you know you have some of our favorite shows on there too. I know several of those 
I listened to. Let's admit one or two of them I looked up because I'm like, I've heard of that show, but I've never listened to it. You also developed a couple of new fans in uh, some of your shows. So that's really awesome. Send us an email to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review on iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. Oh, man, you know what? What? Let me do that right now. I should have posted photos from my party on the podcast Instagram. Yeah, well, I mean, do it after the recording. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. But those will be posted before this episode comes out. Or you guys can join the conversation anytime by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Your advertisement could be here. <laughs> if you like the show and would like to advertise on here, send us an email to adverts at completedeveloperpodcast.com. We have short-term, long-term, and other sponsorship opportunities. And reach out to us. Let us help you reach the people who you are serving. You probably would like to make more money. If for no other reason, the constant inflation and soaring costs in critical parts of the economy, that would be healthcare, housing, college, childcare, and the like, mean that if you aren't regularly increasing your pay rate, you're actually losing purchasing power over time. Even food prices are on the rise. If you would like to have a decent quality of life over the longer term, you're going to have to constantly be trying to improve your pay scale. While you won't always get immediate results, you should always be considering how an action might impact your future pay rate. In this episode, we're going to discuss some strategies for raising your pay. We'll start out with some things that developers need to stop doing if they want to improve their pay over time. We'll follow these up with some strategies for improving pay over the long term. Finally, we'll wrap up with some shorter-term things you can do to quickly increase your salary. While you're probably better off having a long-term strategy rather than relying on short-term hacks, sometimes you need the short-term hacks just to keep your head above water. So we'll start out with the stuff that you should stop doing. And the first one of these items is you should stop working on slightly out-of-date technology. What I mean by slightly is not like Angular 6, but like Microsoft.NET Web Forms, you know, .NET 2.0 or something. Tech that's that old might be okay, as long as that's not the only thing you're doing. Like, it's great to have some legacy experience to help bring apps forward, but you don't want to focus everything on these really ancient technologies that don't have a good pay scale. Because what happens there is you get trapped and you can't get out and your pay starts decreasing over time and it gets harder to find jobs and the jobs are worse. So if your employer is not willing to use technology that is more marketable by you as a developer, you're going to have to move on. Yeah. And I hate this. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you need to talk with your employer because they're not using marketable tech or the tech has gotten old, so time to leave. It could be a matter of, hey, our tech's getting old. It's going to be hard to maintain. You go to your employer and say something about it and they realize it and they go, all right, well, let's look at improving it. Or you may go to them and talk to them about it and like, yeah, we've got a plan to improve it. We're, you know, it's coming. This is what the plan is. They may not have it all sussed out yet, but they may be on it. So it's not something that you just go, Hey, we're, 
you know, we're using Angular 1.5 and I need to get out of here because that's not going to be useful. Yeah. But on the other hand, when you hear that they have no plans to upgrade and they don't care about your concerns on that, then. Yeah. Yeah. Like you got to bail when that happens, because if you don't, it really is is hard. I've been through this a couple of times where I've stayed somewhere longer than I should have. Mm-hmm. And it was a place that had a lot of legacy tech and they weren't using much new stuff. And it took me way longer to get a new job than it should have. And I mean, you and I both have had friends that have left companies, sometimes surprised to leave companies. And, you know, it's taken them months to find another job because they didn't have recent experience. And what ends up happening when that occurs is not only do you have less ability to get a high paying job, but any job you do get is going to pay less and your options start getting limited because you're running out of money. Yeah. And and so you you really have to be careful about that. Now, um, I will say this, if you're using extremely old technology, that can also be viable if there is a market. So for instance, if you're still doing COBOL, there's banks that will hire you yeah, and they'll pay you out the nose. Uh, Delphi is kind of the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, eventually someplace like you're going to get to the point with VB. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you're getting to where people aren't using it or don't want to. Yeah. And so it's hard to find people who can maintain those older applications. Yeah. Um, even companies who want to bring them forward. Now, that's a big thing is, oh, hey, I'm familiar with this slightly out of date technology or maybe a little more than slightly, but not quite as old as like the stuff you get paid bukus of bucks because most of the people that did it are retired. Yeah. Or, or dead. Yeah, I guess the thing here is um, a lot of employers, they pick the technology stack and they don't consider that, hey, if somebody works here for a while and they leave, you know, how bad off are they based off the tech we picked? And it's like, I get that you don't want to be on that that technology treadmill, but eventually if employees start seeing that getting a job here means that I never get out of this tech and my career basically just dies you're going to have to pay through the nose for people to stay there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Of course, if you're at a place when that happens, it's going to be difficult for you to convince them to pay you what you could be getting somewhere else. Yeah. It may behoove you to leave and stay in the same stack, but leave and go to another company. Yeah. And that's the thing that happened a lot in the early 2000s with Visual Basic programmers is they would stay on the classic VB stack Mm -hmm. and then they would go to organizations that were more willing to move forward into .NET and they got their training for free and they, you know, came in with all that experience and that was great. Yeah, It's just if you stay where where the newer stuff isn't used, it really makes life hard. Mm -hmm. So this is something to stop doing. Yeah. So the next thing to stop doing is to stop coasting. Yeah. <laughs> you and I both know a number of people that do this. They are not concerned about the impression they're making at work. You really have to be conscientious of the value that you are providing and try to always be improving that. You know, I can't remember. It's been a couple of years. I can't remember if it was at a meetup group or at a conference where I was speaking, but I had a conversation with Uh, someone who ended up becoming a friend of mine and she was talking about how she did this Yeah, where she got a job. It paid well. Her husband made good money. She had better benefits. He made more money. It was a good, it was a good balance for him. 
and she was comfortable in the tech. She knew it well. She was there doing stuff that she knew how to do. She liked what she did. She liked the people she worked with. She got into that comfort zone. And then, you know, her kids grew up, went off to college, kind of got a little bit of empty nest. And then the place where she was working started updating their tech. And she realized, oh, my goodness, I'm useless. It's like I can help with the older stuff, but I don't get to write. Like she stopped getting to write new things. And that's what she enjoyed about the job. Yeah. We were talking about it. I think it was one of those scrum talks I did, actually, because she was trying to learn that along with the other stuff. She's like, it's all changing on me and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it can happen without you even realizing it's happened. You know, the big thing there is you've got to start taking responsibility for your own growth. And it's not just the tech stack, mm -hmm. right? Like that's a small slice of it. It's how well you work, how well you work with your coworkers, how... Uh, you interact with management, you know, those kind of things. Like you've got to continually uh, be getting better. And really the the best way to do this is to constantly be pushing for uh, new opportunities at your current job. So if you see a chunk of code that needs to be fixed and, you know, like there's a bug out there or something and it sounds kind of nasty, start taking those. Mm -hmm. Start learning from the work that's available for you to do. Or if you know you're going in a certain direction, we're looking at a lot of cloud stuff and some NoSQL. My boss has been encouraging us like to learn this. And so I just took the NoSQL and I was like, all right, I'm just going to go out and I spent a good portion of the last week like going through tutorials and stuff like that between working on bug fixes on something. He told me, he's like, man, that's really, it's really good. And it's just, it's one of those things that like people notice that. Now they're talking like I'm being brought into two conversations about, all right, how are we going to use this? What are we going to do first? And guess who the person who they're probably going to ask to work on the first thing we do, like to trailblaze that. That's probably going to be me. I can't promise that. Yeah. But because I took that initiative and just went out there and said, all right, you said you want us to learn this. I'm going to jump out here and learn it. And now they're, you know, they're looking at it going, hey, he, he's going off on his own. And learning this, let's encourage that behavior. Yeah. The thing is, I know you're happy at your job, but if things were bad, you're in a way better place because you did that. Right. You're even in a way better place as far as keeping your job from going bad. Yes. For that matter, because you have more power. You're not some flunky that they just throw junk work at and, you know, lock you in a closet and tell you to do it. Yeah. Honestly, doing that has been one of the reasons that they assigned me more of the all right, go figure out this or figure out how to incorporate this into what we're doing, which is stuff I love. I absolutely love. And I get to do some really awesome stuff where I work. It's because I've taken that responsibility for myself. I go to conferences and stuff like that, and it shows. Yeah. Do you remember there was a time where I wasn't doing that and I was like struggling? Yeah. And I think everybody goes through those phases, but if you're trying to raise your income, that's not a good spot to be. No. Like, I mean, I know for a fact that I have got to get some uh, Amazon stuff. I, I've got to learn that stuff better yeah. than I have now. And, you know, that's coming. I don't know when I'm going to do it with all the, you know, the book stuff and everything. But like, I, I know I have to. Mm -hmm. And you have to, that self-interested taking control of your own life needs to happen. Also, start pushing for opportunities. Yeah, kind of already covered that.
we were talking about take responsibility for your own growth. When did we hit start pushing for opportunities? Mm, I think I did. Uh, maybe not. I did not catch anything that like it was all about. Well, just hit it anyway. Just edit. <sighs> all right. All right. <laughs> also, when you're taking responsibility, you want to start pushing for more opportunities. As you start taking on those responsibilities for your own growth, you're going to see opportunities where you are to jump in. And this is like what I was talking about where I saw that opportunity. It was mentioned in a meeting, hey, we want to look into this. An email was sent out with a link to a tutorial that was honestly a couple of years old and uh, had some outdated information. So I took the opportunity. Another thing I've seen people do is go, hey, if you guys don't have this, you can start pushing for like lunch and learns or we did uh, developer chats for a long time where the developers would, you know, you could work a little bit on like a, a fun thing and bring it in. You know, I brought in logging Dave from Junior Developer Toolbox when we were working together. He had an idea for building an Alexa app just because he wanted to do it. Thought it would be really cool. Um, I helped him out with it a little bit. And like he pushed for that opportunity. Yeah. And when management knows that you're interested in something and you would be happy to explore it, when they need something explored, especially if it's that thing, guess who gets thrown at it? Because it's easier on the manager too. So the last thing we have under stop doing is stop putting off interviewing. Yeah. Interviewing is really good even if you're not necessarily looking for another job because it's going to give you more information about what's out there. You can have conversations with interviewers and start going, okay, you know, what does your tech stack look like? What does your development process look like? You know, what do you envision yourself doing in the next 18 months? And you can start learning that stuff so that when you have to go out and look for another job, if you have to, you already know where you're going with it. Mm -hmm. The other thing that this does is it really helps to keep your interviewing skills fresh and sharp because, you know, they do tend to degrade, right? Like if you haven't interviewed in three or four years, the first time you have to do it is kind of hard to deal with unless you're like constantly interviewing on podcasts or something and you don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> That's one of the reasons that uh, we have our group Yeah, is to help people to keep up those skills when they're not looking for a job, come practice tech interviews and whiteboard problems with us, not out doing interviews, even if you aren't actively looking for work, you still want to keep those skills fresh. Yeah. It really makes a, a very big difference as far as the, the quality of your interviewing. And the other thing is a lot of times you'll get out there and you'll interview and you won't be serious about looking for a job and the perfect job lands on you. Yeah. And it's like, hey, this is exactly what I would want to do. Holy crap, I'm going. You're increasing the chance to have good luck. But the other thing it does is it forces you to keep your resume and your personal brand up to date. So like you won't have a blog sitting out there that's five years out of date like I do. Yeah. <laughs> but I have this, so it's okay. Yeah, I'm actually, I need to take down Bowtie Beach. Yeah. Because I want to do something with the brand but not a developer blog. I want to go more of a creative route with it. I have thought about uh, Bowtie Beach Creative and like if I want to get into more professional level photography, selling any of my artwork. Yeah. Through that, I could do like design stuff, website stuff, that kind of thing. 
and then just have like subdomains within it. Photo.bowtiebeach.com could be the for the photography stuff, and like then the main one could just be all the things like a landing page. It's, it's ideas. I know we talked with Amber about LinkedIn profiles and like something that you do where you update your LinkedIn profile on a fairly consistent basis. Yeah, it's been every three months. Even when you're not looking. Yeah. So it doesn't look like you're looking because it's like, all right, every three months you just do it. Yeah. And so like employers that are kind of watching for that, you know, they have automated tools that will tell them, hey, this person's updating their LinkedIn profile. They see it and they ask or they find out and you're like, yeah, I just, I keep it up to date so that Mm -hmm. if I get fired or, you know, lose my job or, you know, whatever, I'm not scrambling. Yeah. And that's a perfectly valid reason to do that. Plus it dulls their sensitivity. (laughs) So speaking of dulling sensitivity, let's talk about stuff that uh, you should start doing. Yeah. (laughs) And so the big one is building your network. I know a lot of programmers, especially, you know, once you have a full-time job, if you've got a family and a mortgage, you probably don't do as much social stuff as a lot of the single ones that maybe you're still trying to find a job and possibly have a little bit more free time and money, but you're going to have to start doing that if you want to, if you want to actually uh, get the kind of attention that leads to money. Mm-hmm. You should be reaching out to previous coworkers and bosses at the very least to see how things are going. You should be keeping in contact with these people yeah. just in general. Because if you're front of mind, when they come across an opportunity, suddenly it becomes your opportunity, potentially. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've had lunch together with some of your former coworkers. We've gone to like local Microsoft events and stuff. Yeah. And hung out with them there. When Amanda and I were down in North Carolina, we went out to dinner with uh, my first boss, just because that's where he and his wife live. and. It's like, hey, we're we're coming through. You want to hang out? Yeah. And I mean, I still keep in touch with people I worked with at jobs, you know, going back first or second job out of college. Yeah. For that matter. And, you know, one of the jobs I had in college, I periodically run into some of those guys, too. You know, what's interesting, too, is you never know where you're going to find contacts because I was hanging out with a friend of mine from before I even went to med school. Like we worked together at the psychiatric hospital. We were counselors together and heard about uh, some freelance work through hanging out with her and her husband. So even if the contacts, like if you're a second career coder or did something before getting into coding, you know, even your non-software development network is important. Yeah, or especially. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, because like you'll run into people that you're like, okay, they're getting a business degree and, you know, they're just going to kind of coast. And all of a sudden that guy gets two or three years out of college and something happens and he decides to be an entrepreneur and he starts a startup. Yeah. Definitely keep the network going. And you also need to start, you know, actually growing the network. You know, the first point was about kind of maintaining it, but you also need to start, you know, doing things like meetup groups and conferences and start trying to broaden your network, go out and meet people. Mm-hmm. Even if they can't necessarily do anything for you right now, it's still going to help. And you might be able to do something for them too. That's a good thing. We don't talk about that much is helping other people because it sets you up. Even if they never are able to directly help you, you build a reputation. Well, and I think it's hard to say that they'll never be able to help you because like there's an ecosystemic thing too, right? 
if the people you're around are stronger and doing better, like everybody does better. Yeah. Well, it's like we used to joke about uh, developer Launchpad. Like, yeah, the reason we started is to uh, help cultivate better coworkers. Yeah. Because there's a little bit of truth in that joke because it was, hey, if we build up the people around us, it's going to make our lives better. Also, this would be a really good time to start blogging and participating in social media. Yeah, and good. Good social media. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't get in the Twitter hate and scream fest. And there's some pretty good sized chunks of the tech community that are in those all the time. Don't do that. Like, actually talk about tech, actually engage in a meaningful and positive way with the rest of the community. Yeah, you'll build links that can do all kinds of interesting things for you. Mm-hmm. Just the stuff that we've done on this podcast has given me credibility to get two books out in a year. Yeah, I guarantee you I could not have done that without what we've done here. And this is kind of like blogging. It's just a lot easier. It's audio <laughs> blogging. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot less painful than like written blogs, though. Just for one thing, it's well, actually, I guess our actual blog is still getting hit all the time by bots. I was going to say it's more secure, but maybe not. <laughs> yeah. So the next thing to start doing is start specializing and learning in-demand skills. You should always be learning new things. But now is a good time to focus on skills that have a lot of demand in your area. Right. And you did this early on um, with learning Angular. Yeah, that's a funny story behind that. Uh, Some of y'all know it. I don't know. It's been a while since I've told it, so I'll tell it again. I was interviewing with a recruiter. And we were talking about front-end frameworks. And I said, you know, I would really like to learn more about Angular. Well, she misunderstood what I said and put down that I knew Angular. So I was just starting, like, I was looking into Angular, looking into React. I was just, like, not, I was trying to decide where I wanted to dive deeper. Went to a few interviews, and they kept asking me all these, like, really detailed Angular questions. Some of them I knew the answers to, and some of them like, wow, I'm like taking notes. Like, I'm going to look that up when I get home. I'm like, That's a good question. I don't know. To me, he said, hey, the market wants Angular developers because that's all I'm getting asked about. And it wasn't until I went and like did some really, like I spent two or three weeks just all of my study time on Angular, just really building up those skills that I actually looked at, I think one of the places I interviewed showed me a copy of what they'd received from the recruiter and it listed Angular as one of my skill sets. Yeah, and by then it was. Yeah, by, th- by then it was. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was. it's just kind of funny. But yeah, this is definitely the time to start looking for that and finding out, all right, and, and what you got to look at, like the whole reason I learned .NET as opposed to like Ruby or Python or something like that first, I should say, is because I wanted to work in the national area. Yeah. And it's mostly .NET. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's totally reasonable. Now, as far as the training, if you can get your current job to pay for the training, that's great. If they're going the same way you want to go, that's a real good way to do it. Um, If you can't, then you're going to have to do it yourself. For years and years, I had a Pluralsight subscription that I paid for out of my own pocket specifically so that I could learn new things and not have to run it by an employer and not have them see it on a dashboard. Why is he learning Ruby? Yeah. We don't do Ruby, you know, because that's, that always seemed a little squirrely to me. I've stepped away from the plural site thing now, and I'm more looking at 
getting courses individually for specific things I need versus get a you know package deal that has ancient versions of Angular <laughs> interleaved with new stuff like that. You know, that blew my mind. I like I tried to go through their their little course thing, and it started out with Angular JS, and I'm like, this doesn't help. Yeah, yeah. I had a Plural Site subscription until I started grad school. I was like, all right, there just isn't enough time. Yeah. And I do something very similar to Will when I'm not like during the summer and between semesters, I'll go out and buy a single course. Yeah. Cause you can get them. I forget what the, the website is. I mean, a lot of them are like, you know, 10 bucks, 20 bucks mm-hmm. even, or, you know, and I've gone through like a search engine optimization course. It's like 300 bucks. Yeah. But you think about, you know, you're paying for a plural size subscription at 47 a month. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a whole lot of months to pay for that. Yeah. And it's targeted specifically to what you're trying to do right now. Yeah. You know, if you're paying that much, you know, it's going to be yeah. at a good level. Yeah. Pluralsight has its uses. Like you and I both used it for a long time. And I don't want to like sit here and trash talk Pluralsight, but it's just where we're at now. It's not the best thing for us. Yeah. It's like, I need tactical, not, uh, you know, I, I need a, I need a menu, not a buffet. Yeah. Is kind of is where I am. So, but Pluralsight will work well for a lot of the listeners, I think. Another one that we have several friends who have gone through, and I know some of our listeners that we talked to on the Slack channel have done uh, Udemy. Yeah, Udemy is the one I was thinking of. Yeah, that's the one with the nano degrees, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I know we've know people have done Udemy and Udacity. Yeah, and I can't remember which one is which. Yeah. And don't forget YouTube in the middle of all this too, because you can learn a lot from them too. It's true. Now, as far as the whole training thing for you know increasing your salary, one of the big things you definitely need to be doing is making sure that you actually practically apply the skills that you learn. You know, in other words, build something. Mm-hmm. Don't sit there and go, "Oh, I'm going to watch this you know Vue.js course, and then I'm going to say I knew you know I know how to use it," because that does not work. You're not going to retain anything, and it's not. You know, it's going to be obvious that that's what you did. Yeah, I've heard some people I know in the management realm talking about hiring and saying they would much rather see something you've built. Like even if you built it through a tutorial, just seeing something that you've built versus giving you a coding challenge or giving you problems. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because yeah. the coding challenge tells you nothing. Yeah. Um, there's a guy that wrote a book about that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder Just, who that could be. I don't know. I think it's on A-Press. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll have, to, we'll have to link to that in the show notes somewhere. Yeah. I think his name's Phil or Bill or something like that. <laughs> anyway, another thing you need to start doing is you need to start aiming for better titles and more responsibility. A lot of times you can't get an immediate raise at your job because they've got financial stuff going on or whatever the reason is. If that's the case and you don't want to leave immediately, it's okay to temporarily settle for more responsibility or a better title or something like that. In other words, something that's going to look good on a resume when you go somewhere else. Yeah, I was going to say, it needs to be temporary. Yeah. And it shouldn't be you take on a better title and then immediately start looking. Yeah, because you got to give it a little while. Yeah. You need to prove yourself in that role. Just think about it from the the company hiring you's perspective. If they look at it and go, oh, you were mid-level developer for two years in this company, and then two weeks after you got promoted to senior, you started looking for a new job, you're a mid-level developer. Yeah. But three, four months after you got promoted to senior, you started looking for a new job, 
it's all right, you're you're looking to move up. Right. And especially if you, you know, if you last a year or more yeah. with that, I mean, you're totally fine. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is you can often leverage a better job title for higher pay at the next job because, hey, I, I can do all these other things that these other people can't, mm-hmm. even if you're going back into a lower position. So like if you were a software architect and you go back in as a senior dev, you're still more credible as a senior dev than you were before. Yeah. Also, more responsibility directly translates into more and better experience and people will pay for that. I mean, I just look at myself and one of the reasons I did not get promoted the first time I went up for a promotion is because I, partly my attitude, but that attitude had led me to say no to taking on more responsibility. Yeah. And as my attitude changed, I started taking on more responsibility and I started proving myself and even within where I was, they're like, Hey, you know, he can handle this because he's shown like as a junior developer, he's doing the the work of an advanced developer. Yeah. You know, I've always had a better time with my jobs and with like my quality of life when that has been my default attitude. Mm-hmm. It just works better. Now, along with that, another thing you need to start doing is you need to start trying to get consistent raises that exceed inflation. Huh. Yeah. Um, and I had to put it that way because a lot of companies go, oh, here's your 3% cost of living adjustment, basically. It's not a raise. Even though you've provided all this extra value, like 3% is the top that they give. And the thing is, the real inflation rate is well over 3% for the stuff that you actually live off of. Uh, the way the government calculates inflation is based off of I think they exclude energy and like healthcare and housing. They exclude a whole bunch of stuff that you actually need to live. So like if you lived off of, you know, say pig iron, then it would reflect your actual needs. But as a living, breathing human, it does not. So you've got to make sure that you're frequently getting raises that bump you up, at least at the level of inflation, just so that you break even, Mm -hmm. but hopefully more than that it really hurts over time. Like if you stay at a job for say three or four years and you only get one tiny little raise, that's like maybe three or 4% and you stay there for four years, like you've really lost a lot of capability and now you're kind of in the hole. Mm -hmm. Which is why a lot of developers will move every four to five years. Yeah. Or even it's it's, less. Yeah. It's part to, like to keep up with the newer stuff and things like that. But uh, it's also part because that's how you get more money because companies don't typically raise your salary to the the level that they would hire someone in at. Yeah. And if you sit there long enough, the person that's hired behind you that has less experience is going to be getting paid more. Yeah. And that's just the reality. Companies can stop doing this and they can stop having this problem, but they won't. Mm-hmm. If your pay doesn't go up over an 18-month period, it's probably time to start looking. Don't let them put off a pay raise for an extended period of time. I've done this several times. There was one company I worked for for three years and didn't get a pay raise at all. Mm. You know, so like when I jumped to my next job, it was it was like a $25,000 a year pay raise with no effort and my unbelievably crappy negotiating skills at the time. Yeah. You know, that's just the number they named. If you sit still, it's going to hurt. So now we're going to get into the things you can do in the short term, or as Will termed them in the outline, the quick and the dirty. Yeah. And the first one is the obvious one. Change your job. 
because that's what a lot of us do. And we're not getting paid enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is usually the fastest way to get an increase in salary, provided that you don't do it too often. Yeah, that's a real point to make here is if you you try to go every year, I'd say even every two years might be a little too quick. Now, if it's if it's just a bad situation, you get in somewhere and you realize, hey, this is just a bad situation. And I did that yeah. fairly recently. It was not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to do that. It's a lot easier to do that when you have a period of stable jobs before that. And it's okay. All of a sudden I was at this company for three months and I left. Mm-hmm. You know, It's a lot more believable to an employer to go, yeah, it was just a bad environment. I got out of there. Yeah. Versus, okay, you've stayed everywhere you've stayed for like nine months, 10 months, a year. And then you move on. Like they, they go, hey, this is a pattern. Yeah. If it's a one-off, then it looks like you have good discernment and you look like a better candidate to them. Yeah. But if it's every six, eight months you're moving jobs, then you literally look like a job hopper because you pretty much are a job hopper. Yeah. Um, I will say that pay has to be one of the things you consider, but it cannot be the only thing. Mm-hmm. The quality of life that you have at a job is one of the things that you got to consider. You also need to consider like the technology being used. Like you don't jump to a job that is using older stuff than where you were, mm-hmm. unless you're going to pull them forward. Yeah, that is one thing that I have seen uh, people do. Some people I know they have built careers. Like you built your career around going in and fixing things. I know some people who built careers around modernizing. Yeah. Like going into much older systems, they're very familiar with the older tech and they they built their career about around, all right, I'm going to come in and I'm going to help you update your tech and your processes to be more modern so that you can hire newer developers. Right. And then you're going to move on because you did yeah. your thing. Yeah. So usually those people are more consultants and not like, employees. Yeah. Cause otherwise you just get stuck maintaining the old tech. Mm-hmm. Any new job should come with skills and training that you can leverage for your next position. I understand that this sounds like a mercenary kind of thought process, but the thing is if the job you're getting does not give you those things, your skills are rotting. Yeah. You don't have a choice on this. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. You'll become irrelevant very quickly. Yeah. On that too, if it is, Hey, I'm going to this place to learn COBOL, to learn one of these older texts that I can then use, like be there for three, four years, really learn this stuff, and then go out and get a job maintaining a much older system, making a lot of money. Yeah, or learn an industry Yeah, is probably another one that's really good. That's true. It may be you're using older tech, tech that you know, but older tech, but you're doing it to break into the financial industry so that you can go out and do the newer stuff at another place later on. Yeah, or it's just stuff that's really specialized or whatever, or you really like that industry. I wouldn't try to get into games. Yeah. (laughs) I know developers who've spent their entire life in the printing industry, Mm -hmm. and they deal with like those giant printers. And they're very specialized. They make good money. It's stable because when you buy a $2 million printer, you don't throw it out like you do a inkjet. Yeah. That thing stays in the building because it can't get through the doors. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, oh, like man. there's some, there's value there. I remember when we were in college, it was cheaper to buy a new printer 
than to buy the ink cartridges for it. And it was even cheaper to use the printers at the school where they didn't monitor the uh, the load. I made my own pad of graph paper <laughs> that way. <laughs> and I didn't know about double buffering, so I like, jammed up the print cube for like four hours. It was great. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Hood wasn't real happy, and he helped me optimize my program, and then he took a copy of it because he wanted some too. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's, the, that's the way that, that bunch rolled. But, so let's talk about another thing you can do uh, that's also quick and dirty. Maybe it's something you're able to do. A lot of us can't, but you know, sometimes you, know, you live somewhere and you're not really you know, completely rooted there. Like you just got out of college and you're kind of mixed about the city you're living in. You can move somewhere with higher pay. Yeah, a lot of times you right out of college and you're literally living in a college town. Yeah. You know what I think of like tech and Cookville. Yeah. Tennessee Tech, because they've got some tech industry there, but really to make money, you got to move to Nashville. Yeah. If you want to stay in the state. Yeah, or the way that Murfreesboro used to be with MTSU. It's not now. Yeah. It's a no, whole it's city now. It's like a real yeah. town. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, like 25 years ago, that not so much, you got out of there and you went yeah. somewhere else and that's valid. Uh, different parts of the world have very different pay scales. This is why people outsource. This is why they, you know, onshore stuff just to cheaper locations. Mm -hmm. It could be worth considering a move. You know, this is really easy comparatively. If you're young, single, you don't have any particular attachment to your current location. You know, you don't have long-term friends that have been there. You don't have parents close, you know, whatever, you know, you could just go somewhere else. You could move to the Bay area conceivably mm -hmm. and make $300,000 a year and live in a closet. Yeah. But you know, the thing is if you're willing to do that and you save for four or five, six years, and then you move back out of there, you can take a lower pay scale and you've got a nest egg of money that you can invest and you're way ahead of everybody else. If you do it. Or you can pay off your student loans. Yeah. It would only take you like, like if you lived for free, you could do that in just a few years, <laughs> just a few <laughs> short years. A few short years, yeah. <laughs> Living on the streets, yeah. Paying on student loans, yeah. Yeah, we could just get uh, ramen noodles shipped in pallets to your mm -hmm. location. Yeah, there you go. Make you popular. It's good. Mm -hmm. So the final thing we're going to talk about, um, the last quick and dirty, is you can always pick up additional work. You know, if, especially if you're looking to expand your skills or make more money, and that's not something you can do at your day job, taking on some freelance stuff. Before I started back to grad school, that's how I got to do newer, different things. Yeah. Like play around with mobile. I did some mobile stuff freelance that, you know, we weren't doing it at work, um, or at least I wasn't doing it at work. And so that's how I got to play around with mobile was doing that. Yeah, I will say there's a few caveats to this because mm -hmm. I've done this quite a bit with a day job, a special. You know, it's it's one thing if it's like, hey, it's your full time, but if it's after hours, you need to be very uh, conscientious about which side work you take. Mm -hmm. So you need to have a preference for work that pays either double your current hourly rate. In other words, your salary divided by two thousand working hours in a year. That's give or take ish your rate. It needs to pay either double that or it needs to teach you new things or preferably both. Mm -hmm. So like if it's the same stuff you're doing every day at work, yeah, okay, it's a much higher rate because this is your free time. Yeah, You either need to get money that you can invest in something that creates money or you need to get skills that you can invest in creating more money that can create money. Mm -hmm. That's how you end up being ahead. Also, 
side work can turn into full-time work. Yeah. Will knows this from experience. I was there when it happened. <laughs> yeah, that's happened to me. Oh, Several I times. I've been yeah. there at least twice. I would have to think about it and you know, for a while to figure out exactly how many times that has happened to me. But yeah, it, it absolutely will. And the thing about it is, if you already started at a higher hourly rate as a contractor, when they want to hire you on, they'll probably pay you as an employee a higher rate than you were getting at your previous job because they're they're price anchored to your higher rate, not to what your mm-hmm. day job was. That's why I said double. Yeah. For that reason, is it puts you in a better price anchoring position. Mm-hmm. So guys, in the long run, you want your pay to increase over time. Stagnant pay is equivalent to declining purchasing power and can make it far more difficult to save money for your other goals. While pay isn't always the most important consideration, it is a critical one. You need to be structuring your work life so that you are always moving towards higher paying work. However, you do have to be careful about how you do it, as all strategies have a cost. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I know that a lot of the suggestions that we made in this episode kind of sound a bit mercenary. It's like, oh, I'm treating my job like it's disposable. The fact of the matter is that either your job is disposable or you are. Mm -hmm. Because if you treat your job like, oh, I don't have any other choice, you're valuing yourself less than you're valuing that job. And eventually that chicken comes home to roost. You get worked half to death and then you get fired Mm -hmm. or you get a pay cut or, you know, you start having to work with somebody that's a complete jerk. Like that will happen. Now that doesn't mean that you just, you know, completely treat the job as disposable and go, I don't care if they fire me, whatever, but you've got to understand that they are going through a set of business calculations to determine whether they can hire you or not. You have to do the same thing for them. So this episode is kind of an, an expression of that. It's, it's understanding that I have a value and my skills have a value. I want that value to increase so I get paid more. In other words, it's valued more by the people hiring me. Mm-hmm. And that's all there is to it. You know, it's nothing personal. You may have to leave a job because you're not making enough money. That's not a personal thing. That's a, I want my life to be better thing. And you have every right to do it. So don't forget that. That's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.